0: Yeah, I just share, you know, we have an incredible group of volunteers who just make this place come alive. People love and they feel the presence of God when they come onto the parking lot. They see our parking people, our guest service team welcoming. And you know, it just happens because people like yourself. Okay. And so thank you for all the you that were serving, make this place just such a wonderful oasis in a in a dark world that's around us. We have this place that we can come in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. I titled this message Real Faith in the Fire. So turn to Daniel 3. Last week Pastor Rick, didn't he do a great job by the way? Yeah. yeah. And yes, you will hear more of Pastor Rick. He'll be coming in more weekends in the future and so forth, but uh, he's still getting his feet on the ground. He's starting our school of ministry this month. But, uh, yeah, he did a great job. But this, me, uh, let's talk a little bit about chapter 2. Remember king, king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had this dream. And none of his special people could, in, well, he wanted them to tell him what was the dream and then bring me the interpretation. Well, none of them could do that. So he was going to wipe them all out. He was going to kill them all. Well, Daniel, he was one of these uh, servants, one of the wise men. And he was like, okay, well, I will talk to my God our God, and God gave him not only what the dream was, but the interpretation of it. So he went to King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel gave that interpretation and the dream, and he was like astonished, like, wow. Remember, it was a large statue, a head of gold representing King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. Then there was the the arms, the chest of silver representing the the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the... The uh, midsection of bronze, the Grecian Empire, the two legs of iron representing the uh, Roman Empire, and then the feet mixed with iron and clay, an inferior Roman Empire later on. And then King Nebuchadnezzar learned that. And why that's so important to understand is because of its effect in chapter 3. Now, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, about 16 years are in between those times. So... This is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace, okay? And sometimes we picture them as like young teenagers going into the furnace. But no, they would have been grown men at this time. So let's start chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. A cubit was about 18 inches, so we can do the math there. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, some archaeologists, have they believe that they have found in an area called Dura, south of Baghdad. Babylon would have been in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. They found this large foundation area that a a statue, they believe, was erected on it at one time. So it could be the area. We don't know for sure. Verse 2, then he summoned of the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, I mean, you can see the list there, the officials, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood by it. Now, so he's erected this large statue now, from what I've been able to underco- uncover, this is not the first statue that they put up. The first one, uh, somehow when they were erecting it, the, the arms broke off of it, and so they call that the Statue of Limitations. <laughs> hey, no, you won't find that in the Bible, sorry. But why, why did he do this? I really believe it was in direct defiance to what he learned in chapter 2. At that moment, it was just going to be the head of gold representing you, King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, but then all these other kingdoms are coming. And I really believe it was a defiance of God saying, I am going to make sure my empire stays and lasts forever. So the whole statue is going to be gold. It was kind of like, okay, I know what God is saying, but I'm going to thwart that plan so to speak i'm going to do something different so he erected this he brings all these officials this would have been like he's got his judicial officials his military his political he's got the irs included he's got all these different people there from the police force all for this dedication now king nebuchadnezzar today we would probably say he's a narcissist he was all about him he got a huge ego in fact, I learned years ago, ego, E-G-O stands for edging God out. Because that's what, when you have an ego, that's what happens. You edge God out of things in your life. Now Babylon was a, maybe one of the most powerful nations or empires to ever be on the earth. And King Nebuchadnezzar may have been one of the most powerful leaders of a powerful nation. So he had a lot going for him. But when you look at King Nebuchadnezzar and you look at Babylon, it's really, and you find this throughout the Old Testament, there's shadows of what's going to happen in the future. Really, when we're reading about Nebuchadnezzar, it's a shadow of the Antichrist and the world empire that's going to take place, the one world government, the one world religion, actually referred to as Babylon in the book of Revelation. So this is kind of a a shadow of that. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations, people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. No options, command. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, that's the only time you're going to hear me go through the whole list. I'm going to skip them every time. You must fall down and worship the image of gold, that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Really, this book, this chapter particularly, is a lot about worship. Sixteen times worship's mentioned. Do you know Satan is after our worship? We, as humans, we're created to worship. It's one of the things that sets us apart from the animal kingdom. Have you ever seen your your animals worship? Now, the cats might want to be worshiped. But animals do not worship. We are unique in that. We were created to worship. And Satan is always out to steal the worship away from God and put it. He's happy as long as we worship someone or something other than Yahweh. And so this is an attack against the worship. Now, I mentioned in chapter 2, after Daniel had given that dream and interpretation You would have thought maybe that King Nebuchadnezzar had become a follower of God, that he would have like turned his life around. Unfortunately, we would just say it's like a false conversion. Let's look at a verse from last week. You'll see it on the screen. It says, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. The problem of it is, now look what happened 16 years later. Nebuchadnezzar sets himself up to be worshipped. So he had the acknowledgement of God. He makes that proclamation there where he says, Yes, you know, your God is the God of gods. You would have thought that he would have said, Man, I realize all these... Because remember, the Jewish people were unique in that they only believed there was one God to worship. All the other nations had their polytheists. They had many gods. Not unlike what a lot of people are at today when they say there's many ways to to heaven, many ways to God. No, there's one way through Jesus Christ. But you see here, this king had, I'll just say it, a false conversion, I think. As a pastor here, and I think I could speak for other pastors. One of the hardest things for us to deal with is when we see people that we believe, they say the right things. But are they really a believer in Jesus? Do they have a false conversion? Are they a real follower of Jesus? Or is it a name only? Do they want to do the very basic minimum? What can I do just so I don't go to hell? Can I kind of get get my ticket stamped and then I live my life any way I want? And so today we're going to be talking as we go through this story about what is real faith compared to fake faith? What's real faith? And we see number one here from what we've just been reading real faith produces change. And here's a question for all of us Am I changing to be more like Jesus? It's a personal reflection that we can all go through. Examine your life. I'm not here to say who's a true follower of Jesus and who's not. That's up between you and God. Now, sometimes I can see things like, man, that person's really on fire. I don't see, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of change take place in them. But really, I can't see into your heart, into your soul. Now, God can. But I think it's what's important for all of us is when we come to Christ, we should begin to change. You're Not going to be perfect, but you start doing things differently. You know, when the Apostle Paul had his conversion on the road to Damascus, he didn't continue to go and keep killing Christians. There was a change took place for you and me. We are not perfect, but we should start to look more and more like Jesus as time goes. For me now, I got saved in 1981. So you can do the math. It's been almost 43 years that I've been a Christian. I'm so much different than I was when I first got saved. But I still got work to do, just like you do. But change takes place As we follow God, real change. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 8. It says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Well, let me just stop right there. And you can find this throughout the Bible. Astrology is demonic. Stay away from it. If you're into all the horoscopes and astrology, following the stars and the signs and all that stuff, it's a counterfeit. It's what Satan wants to do to direct your life. We have the real thing. We have the Holy Spirit wanting to guide our life. We don't need the stars to guide our life. Amen? Now, I'm not saying astronomy. I'm saying astrology, okay? But look what they did. They denounced the Jews. The Jewish people have had, always have had people against them the whole time. You turn on the news, what do you see? The exact same thing happened today. Don't forget, continue to keep praying for Israel, for peace in the Middle East, for the, for the Jewish people in particular, for the peace of Jerusalem. There's nothing wrong with praying for the Palestinians too, especially the innocent Palestinians. There are, many Palestinians even are Christian, and they're caught up in this. They're innocent. Let's keep going. Verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all kinds of music or must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing fire, furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. See, you see the the attack that's happening there. These were guys who were taking a a bold stand. They were not going to compromise. They knew that what King Nebuchadnezzar had done was violation of the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And no graven image. Well, that's what, that's what they were asked to do. To worship an image. To, to bow down and worship another god. And these guys weren't going to do it. And it's interesting, too, about music. You know what we had? We had some awesome worship music earlier. You can worship without music. But there's something about music that's special, isn't it? God gave us music. Think about this. You can hear a tune from a song 30 years ago, and all of a sudden you know the words. Now, you can't do that with other stuff. Your memory's not that good. But you know the exact words where, and where they go in that song because there's something about music and how God designed it that it goes beyond our conscious to our subconscious level. You ever hear a song and all of a sudden you can't get it out of your mind? It's just like stuck there? God's given that to us. It's a gift. And how we can use music to worship the Lord engages much more of all of us when we worship. But you know, Satan knows that too. And Satan tries to use music as a way to pull people away from God. Well, now let's look what King Nebuchadnezzar does. Verse 13. Furious with rage. Can't you just picture him? His face red veins popping out of his neck he's like he's not used to being challenged nebuchadnezzar summoned shadrach meshach and abednego so these men were brought before the king you know what's interesting there is that when you look back at verse six the decree the command was that if you don't fall down and worship immediately you'll be thrown into the fire these guys were not immediately thrown in the fire why Because they were such stellar servants that Nebuchadnezzar was like, man, these are three of my best guys. I can't lose them. I've got to give them a second chance here. And some people wonder, well, where's Daniel? Did Daniel compromise? No, I don't believe he did based on what you read about the whole book and Daniel's character. Daniel was a very high ranking official. I'm guessing he just wasn't there at that time. He was off maybe in another country doing uh, business for the king. So he's not in the story because he's not around. But look at verse 14. It says, And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? So he really wants to make sure he's got the right information. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. You see a lot of prideful statements there, don't you? I, my. Now, when you hear the sound of all kinds of music, If you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then look at this little challenge. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See, Nebuchadnezzar didn't see himself as just a king, did he? He saw himself as a god. That's what he was saying. I have final say. I'm in control. Think about what the Antichrist is going to be like someday in the future. Antichrist, opposite, going to be like, he's, he wants to be like Christ, but in an opposite way. See, what, some, what I really believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had going for them is they stuck together. They decided ahead of time that they were not going to compromise and sin. And you know what? That's so important for all of us. We need to decide ahead of time. You don't know what kind of temptation you're going to be facing tomorrow, do you? What, and you got a purpose in your heart, and that's what we found in chapter 1. They purpose in their heart that they would not defile themselves, that they would not sin against God. And we have to decide that, too. We have to don't go into life just, like, carelessly, like, oh, we'll just see what happens Because Satan then knows what bait to put on the hook in front of you and to try to hook you. you got to decide ahead of time. Some of the advantages of these guys being connected together and for our lives as as we connect with other Christ followers, that's why we always talk about groups. You're going to hear it over and over. Is there some advantages? Look at it. First of all, when you're connected with other Christ followers, you help each other. You grow together. If somebody has a need, you kind of help each other. You provide encouragement to each other. Sometimes you're going to be discouraged. It's great to have a Christ follower that can lift you up. There's accountability. Sometimes the enemy might get in our mind, and we need that accountability to speak truth to us. Prayer support. We all need that, don't we? Do you know it's easier for me to pray for your need than it is for me to pray for my own need? There's just something, I have greater faith for you than I do for myself sometimes because I'm experiencing what I might be going through. but I'm not experiencing it for you, so it's easier for me to pray. And then shared experiences, joys and sorrows. You know, at one moment, you could be at somebody's celebration, maybe their wedding, maybe a birthday party, you're having fun in relationship, but then the next week, you might be at a memorial service for one of their loved ones. We need people in our lives that we have that are other like-minded Christians. There's strength in numbers, isn't there? If you're always by yourself, you're easy prey for the enemy. So don't be like that. That's one of the advantages I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had by being together. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your, mag- your uh, majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, that's a key. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, here's the second lesson that we can learn about real faith, and that is real faith Trust God no matter the outcome. Don't have a situational faith like, well, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. As long as you do this, then I will be happy and we'll be just fine. There's some important lessons in verse 17 and 18. Let's look at it again. First of all, in verse 17, they said, uh, they acknowledged that God is all-powerful. They said, our God is able to deliver us. He's able to do it. He, if you put us in the fire, He's able to save us in it. That was their faith. But then you see this, they acknowledged the sovereignty of God. Now, in other words, that God is in control. And they, when they said in verse 18, and even if He does not, we want you to know we're still not going to serve your gods. And then they really... The whole underlying part is that they trusted in a God that they believed, loved them, and they loved God. That he was trustworthy. That they could put their life completely in their hands. You know what you don't see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You don't see them commanding. You see them respectful with the king. They continually called him your majesty. They're respectful, but they didn't compromise. Do you know you can do both? See, some people are so on the respectful side that they, re- they compromise. Oh, yeah, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I'm just going to, you know, these three guys could have done when the music started playing. Uh, we'll just pretend like we're tying our shoe. We'll get down here. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be bowing, but we're not going to be really worshiping. Maybe we'll even move our mouths a little bit. They won't be able to tell what we're saying. They didn't even do that. They didn't want anybody like, to look at them. Now, there would have been a lot of other Jewish exiles. We only know about these three. It's likely a lot of them compromised. You know, think about what it would be like today. If a terrorist came in and said, Denounce Jesus and I'll let you live, but if you confess Jesus as your Lord, I'm putting a bullet in your head, what would you do? You know, there's a lot of people that probably denounce Jesus just so they could live. But you got to purpose ahead of time. Like, no matter what, I am trusting God, no matter the outcome. This is so important. See, it's one thing to have faith to escape. It's another another to have faith to endure. it's, It's one thing to have faith to trust God to be healed. But there's another to have faith to praise Him, even if you're not healed. See, the end of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, we call that the, 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 the hall of faith. All these men and women who had great faith in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But it says in there that some escaped by the sword, but some died by it. Not everybody had a good outcome in the chapter 11. And I was really meditating and thinking about this. Many of you right now, I know, because I'm a pastor around people all the time. Many of you are going through a fiery trial right now. I don't know what it is, but you know, right when I talk about trial right now, you know what's been keeping you up at night, what gives you knots in your stomach, what you're worried about, whatever that trial is. These guys were real life people, just like you and me. They didn't go to Sunday school and see the flannel graph story on how they're going to get delivered from the fire. They had no knowledge of that. But what they did was they totally took their life and put it into God's hands. See, when we surrender our life completely to God, nobody else has control over us. That king did not have control over these guys. He thought he did, but he had no control over them because they were surrendered to a greater king. And you and I can be surrendered to that greater king as well. And I was thinking about it. No matter the outcome. I've shared bits and pieces. I can't go into a whole lot of time uh, on this story right now. But um, when I was in the corporate world in Iowa, I did really well financially. And I made money. And I was like, man, I don't want to invest this all in the stock market. It seemed a little risky at the time. So I'll do it in brick and mortar. I became in with some partnerships. And I, I was part owner of multiple small town hotels and motels. And they were all doing really well, receiving monthly distributions and so forth, until 9-11 happened. Remember what happened in 9-11? People stopped traveling. Fear. And all of a sudden, the lodging industry went way down. Occupancy would go from 70 80% down to 20 30%. And it was a terrible investment. And all of a sudden, I had to, like, pay money to get out of some of these deals, to sell properties, all of a sudden we we owed the bank more than they were worth. And I had come on staff here in the year 2002, and I wasn't making what I made back then. It was like all of a sudden, and I prayed during that time, and that that trial for, for me and my family lasted five years. I prayed and prayed and prayed that I would not lose a single dime through that whole situation. And we lost everything. Some of you are praying and praying and praying in the trial you're going through. And you still have that chronic pain. You still have that wayward child. You still have that financial burden that's on your shoulders. And I don't know how your trial is going to end. I know how mine, when I, we, and I remember opening up with our family, like we got to make a lot of lifestyle changes and so forth because of what we were going through. I prayed that I wouldn't lose anything. I got drugged into a lawsuit, lost the lawsuit. It just completely wiped us out. But I remember God speaking. I've never heard God speak audibly, but in my heart, he made it so clear to me. He said, Dave, how are you going to teach God's people to live by faith if you don't need to? Ooh. Because it was easy to live when you had Checks coming in every month. And now all of a sudden I was in a situation. And then it was like God was showing me. He said, you know, that money and your account and all that kind of stuff is for the future. But if you have a need in the future, I'm your provider. I will supply what you need. You were looking to one thing, but I want to be that source. And I grew so much through going through that trial. And God wants to. Teach you lessons that he can only teach you by going through a trial. So this is why this is an important one, that we trust God no matter the outcome. Don't make it situational. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames... Of the fire, killed the soldiers who took them, these three men, firmly tied and fell into the blazing furnace. Th- these furnaces, what most people believe is they were like uh, kilns that they made their bricks in. Babylon was known for making a lot of bricks, for the, all the building of all the things that they were doing. And they probably would have been had a hole up in the top, like a mound type thing, where they'd put the wood in, the smoke could go out. And on the side is where they could put the bricks in and then retrieve them out when they were baked. There are Babylonian bricks with Nebuchadnezzar's names inscribed on it all in museums all over the world. You can go to New York, uh, to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and you'll see a brick like this from the Babylonian time of King Nebuchadnezzar. So that's probably what type of furnace they were put into. It was like a brick kiln. The best way we could describe it is kind of like our pizza ovens today. You know, those brick pizza ovens, you know, where you can slide the things in and out on the side, but there's also a place to exhaust of the heat to come out. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Well, this brings us to our third point. Real faith knows Jesus is with us in our trials. Now, there's some debate. People don't know this fourth one that was in the fire. Was this an angel? Was it a pre-incarnate Christ? They call him a Christophany, like There was times where Jesus was present in the Old Testament in different situations. That's where I believe. I believe it was actually Jesus in the fire with him. But we don't know that for sure. So don't get dogmatic about it. Could have been an angel. But here's what we do know. It was the presence of God. God miraculously helped these three guys in the fire. And the king looks in there and he sees them unbound, walking around. So here's the thing. Real faith... We, we know that Jesus is with us in the trial. Many of you, when a trial happens, you wonder, what's the matter, God? Have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me? I do all this good stuff. Why am I having to go through this? Sometimes we just go through trials for doing all the right stuff. These guys, we have no evidence that they did anything wrong and they were put into this trial. Now, there, are, I will say this. Here's a disclaimer. There are some trials that you bring on yourself because of your stupidity, okay? Sin has consequences, and you can't blame those trials on God, okay? But there are times you're doing everything just right. You're serving God. You're volunteering. You're, you're giving money to the Lord, and all of a sudden, you're going through his trial like, God, what's the matter? Why am I being punished somehow? no. Those trials are given to us by God, or He allows us to go through them, to teach us things that we would never learn any other way. We can grow so much as we go through these trials. So don't turn your back and get angry at God. Look at this verse from Isaiah 53, excuse me, 43 on the screen. We sang about it in one of our worship songs. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, what's really important for all of us to understand is God does not always keep us from the trial, but he will be in the trial with us. Do not forget that he's, whatever trial you're going through right now, he's right there at your side wanting to help you through it. He wants you to become out stronger on the other end of it. And like I said, we don't know the outcome of them. Some of you, you know, you're going through a trial and you may not ever see the, the end of it until you're in heaven. Those of you who have certain disabilities, chronic pain, you may not be healed here on this earth. But here's what I know is, The Lord will be with you each and every way, guiding you, helping you in your trial. The other thing that's so important, these three guys, as they're on there walking around with the Lord, you don't see them like unbound all of a sudden like, hey, there's a door. Let's head out of here. This is one of those pictures. I hope when we get to heaven, there's some video wall that we get to look and see these things. I want the Lord to show us. Like, let's see. Man, that had to be quite the sight. Can you imagine what King Nebuchadnezzar was looking like? His eyes got real big. Well, wasn't there three guys? I see four walking around in there. Those guys, as they were in the fire, they were better off in the fire with the Lord than outside in the king's palace. Don't forget that for your life. That you're better in the trial with the Lord than outside that trial, away from the Lord. Some of you are experiencing things because you're away from the Lord right now. He wants to be alongside of you. He wants to be in that kind of relationship. And you see, these guys had that kind of relationship. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. It's interesting, they didn't come out until he called for them to. Come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Miracle, right? Nor was a hair of their heads even singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That, just say it. That's a miracle, amen? You know the only thing that burned up were the things that bound them. The ropes, the things that they were bound up in were the only thing that burned. Now think about it related to your trial. There may be some things that are binding you up that you don't have full freedom in your life. And God's gonna say, in the trial that you're going through, I'm gonna burn that stuff up. I'm going to burn the things. I want you to have more freedom. So, look for those things that God wants to do while you're in that trial and how you could be more free, more unbound. So, here's the next thing on the screen. You see this. Every personal trial is an opportunity to grow closer to Jesus. See your trials that way. I've been through so many trials, I can't keep track of them, major trials. Financial one I mentioned, health ones, different trials over the years. I can tell you this, I've gone through way more trials as a pastor than I ever did as a, when I was in the corporate world. Probably because I'm a bigger target, maybe the enemy trying harder. But here's what I know, I trust the Lord. He's the one that will get me through it. I don't have to turn my back on God. I know so many people that have turned their back on God. They leave the church. They're angry at God because of the trial they're going through. And they expect God to get them out of every jam. That's not his role. His role is to help us to become more like him. That's what he's doing. Let's finish this story up here. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His tune's changing a little bit, isn't it? Who has sent his angel and and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted the three guys in the province of Babylon. You, ever, you see the stories on TV, don't you, about the people that go into extreme road rage? Can you imagine if Nebuchadnezzar was driving today? <laughs> this guy would fly off in a rage. One way, he's this way. Next thing you know, he's ready to tear people's houses down and cut them into pieces if they don't worship God. I mean, you talk about a, a psychopath, I mean. The guy was just so, you know, it's really important is make sure that we don't just operate on our, our emotions. When we have a feeling, don't just open your mouth up and say what comes in your, uh, in your head. He's like, we swing from one thing to another. But he, I got two more points for you out of what we just read. Number four is this. Real faith should be visible to others. See, these guys didn't, they, everybody knew that they served Yahweh. They served the God of Israel. There was no question about it. It wasn't that they just didn't want to worship the, the golden image. See, see, so often the things that we are called to, it's not about us not doing something. It's what we're called to do. So don't focus on the negative, like, oh, I can't do that. Focus on what we get to do. These guys were so in worshiping God, they didn't want to worship false idols, they're faced with visible to others unbelievers will see jesus in us most likely when we're going through a trial more so than any other time when we're going through a trial unbelievers can see jesus in us they can say i i want something that they have i don't have that it's time for us christians to not be closet christians not to be camouflaged Christians, that we kind of blend in with the world. Let it never be where people say, what? They're a believer? I had no idea. People could say, yeah, I, you know, I don't agree with them, but boy, they do have a strong faith. People should know that. It should be visible to others. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. We've been having a lot of talks as as pastors and our our staff meetings and so forth. When you talk about being visible and uh, a public profession of our faith, in Scripture, it's really baptism. We are called to be a believer in Jesus and then to be baptized. And baptism is to be public two weeks ago. It was a cold Sunday. I don't know if you remember. It was in the 50s. We had 53 people get baptized out here. 53. And you know what's so unique about that? Because it was so cold, there were 19 people that had signed up and didn't show up. Now, they were waiting until March. Okay, that's great. I'm sure they're going to still follow through with it. But that's what we are called to do. We are to be public. And if you've never been baptized, we'll have another one in March, mid-March. Get baptized. It's a public declaration of that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Time to come out of the closet. The world is very willing to be bold about what they believe, right? Time for us Christians to be even more bold because we have the true. We don't have a false thing that we, that we believe in. We have the truth and we need to take a stand for Christ. Here's the, here's the last one. Number five is real faith must be personal. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, do you think he made a, 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 a do you think he got saved yet? I don't think so because look what he says. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. If anyone says anything about their God it was not personal to him yet it was all related to the God of someone else if your spouse right now is on fire for the Lord and you're not when you get to heaven you can't say to God you know they got they got our ticket you know they're they, they got both passes for us everybody will stand before God on their own it has to be personal It can't be on your parents' faith. It can't be on your spouse's faith. Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll see it when we get into chapter 4, he's not yet there. God's got to still humble him. He's not yet a believer. He doesn't have a personal faith. God's called us to have a personal faith. As we get ready to, we're going to be taking communion in a moment, so we're going to pray. But let me just quickly go through that real faith, it changes us. That we have to trust God no matter the outcome. That we know that Jesus is with us in the trial. That it's visible to others. And it's personal. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the challenge you've given to us. As we've studied these three Hebrew guys and the faith that they have. Lord, let us have that kind of faith in the trials that we go through. Jesus, thank you for being in the fire with us. That you've sent your Holy Spirit to live in us. That we have a personal relationship with you. That it's not just some religion. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you need to give your life to the Lord today, in a moment we're going to take communion. And and the scripture says, unless you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot take communion. it will bring judgment upon yourselves. But if you need to give your life to Christ today, need to rededicate, or you need to surrender for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm going to have you pray right there in your seat. But as an act of faith, just raise your hand up and say, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I want to surrender to Jesus. Just raise it up high, okay? I see several in the balcony. Great. How about down here? Good. Others of you? wait in a moment. So important. Okay. Those of you that have your hands up, you can put them down. Let me lead you in this prayer. And it's not about the exact words of this prayer. It's like not some magic words. But you're praying to God and you're meaning it from your heart. Let me just guide you as, as we pray. You're praying it to the Lord. Just pray it under your breath. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you today. I know that I'm a sinner, but I know Jesus came to this earth and died for all my sin and rose on the third day. Please forgive me of all my sin. I want to follow Jesus from this day forward. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Now, for those of you that raised your hands, we'd love to talk to you further at the end of the service. Please come on down here. We've got some information we'd love to give you. We can talk to you more about the baptism, answer questions you might have. Before we take communion, would you stand? We're going to worship, and then we'll take communion. Church, let's sing together. Let's declare that Jesus is Lord. You are the Lord. You are the Lord. You're the Lord. why don't you put yourself in that upper room that night when Jesus was betrayed. Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, the act of humility, serving his disciples. They were enjoying a Passover meal. that had been prepared. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He's there with his closest followers. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, so I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me read that last part again. This is what I really want to emphasize. There's two big things in communion. It's for us, and we're to remember what Jesus did. Listen, this is my body, which is for you. He is so for us. He gave it all for us. See, Satan would love for us to think that God's mad at us, against us. He is for us. Remember what he's done. So as you take the bread, it can be done. I've done it two times already this weekend. If you can, without making a big mess, just break it. His body was broken. When he broke that bread, he was symbolizing his broken body for us. He's so for us. Don't ever forget he's for you, especially in the midst of a trial. That's the time when we're so tempted to think he's not for us. He's for us. So, Lord, as we hold this bread, representing the broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, we thank you, Jesus, that you willingly came to this earth. You gave it all for us. And we just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we take this in remembrance of what you did for us. Let's partake. And then it says... uh, In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This cup represents his new covenant. Aren't you glad we're under the new covenant? The old covenant is you had to be good enough. You had to follow all those commandments. This is a new covenant in his blood. He knew we couldn't be good enough. The commandments were really showing that we have a need for a savior, that we could never be good enough. So he was good enough. He was sinless. His blood was shed. His sinless blood was shed for us. We get the benefits of the new covenant. That he forgives us. He comes and lives in us. Our names are written in the book of life. He has a purpose and a plan for us. So as we take this cup, we remember what he did. We proclaim his death until he comes back again. So, Lord, thank you, Jesus, so much for coming to this earth, dying on that cross, and your precious, sinless blood was shed for us we don't want to take that lightly we don't want this to ever become a religious action we remember what you did thank you that you're for us we take this now in remembrance of you let's take thank you for being here this weekend I hope to see you here today at four o'clock if you have any prayer needs, our prayer team will be down here. Those of you that raised your hand up, I know, uh, come on down afterwards. People will be leaving. Probably still raining now a little bit, so don't be in a hurry to leave. But uh, we'd love to talk to you, pray with you. If you're new or you're visiting, we'd love to meet you out in our comments. We have our information center. And by the door, you'll find the offering boxes for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. God bless you, and have a great rest of your day.